pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we do turn to Your Word now. We know that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating bone and joint and marrow. So we ask this morning that as the living Word that You would take it into our hearts by the power of Your Spirit, You would raise our affections for Christ and give us a greater desire to worship Him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. That's found on page 848 of the Pew Bible. I guess in a way it's very appropriate that on July 4th we've come to this point in the Gospel of Mark where we hear Jesus say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus has been experiencing opposition in a more heated fashion at this point as he has entered into Jerusalem. Now we see opposition from the Sanhedrin, which is comprised of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And what will take place here is really a series of questions put before Jesus to see how he will answer them. And each one of them is a test from each one of these particular groups within the Sanhedrin. And today we see the Pharisees coming to Jesus with a particular question. And so I'll read to us Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. I don't know if you've known people that you respect highly, someone who is maybe highly intelligent as well, and sometimes you just want to follow them around and see how they will answer questions that are put to them. I think the disciples were much like that with Jesus and I certainly have known some very intelligent and not only intelligent but very wise people as well and I've always longed to sort of follow them around even from a distance to see how they would handle certain situations and questions put to them. And that's the thing that takes place here with Jesus. Here the question is put before him. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They come to trap Jesus. That's their only motive. And they want to put before Jesus a dilemma, a question that would force him to decide one way or the other. It's a yes or no question that's put before Jesus. And what they're really trying to play on is Jesus' own character that he's demonstrated to the masses throughout his ministry. They butter him up with what they say in verse 14. 
Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. You're not swayed by appearances or literally you don't look upon and see the faces. In other words, you don't distinguish between various people and say one thing to one crowd and another thing to another crowd, but rather you truly teach the way of God. So they're playing on Jesus' integrity and character and wanting him to be faithful so that now they can catch him in this trap and they've put him in a position where he's called upon to say either yes or no. Yes, you should pay taxes. In which case, the populous people would rise up against him. Or, no, you shouldn't. In which case, he would lose favor with Rome and possibly be killed. And so it was a trap. Those of you who are lawyers, I'm sure, were trained to do this in school where a witness is put before you and you want to trap the witness in a sense to say yes or no. And the witness, having heard the question, says, at least in his own mind, well, there's more to the story than just a yes or no, but but answer the question, is it yes or is it no? So Jesus here is now given this dilemma And they think that they've got him. But he knows their scheme. In verse 15, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Jesus is going to see things from a heavenly perspective rather than from their merely earthly perspective. And he's going to see a third option that they don't recognize. Because he is wiser than they are. Which, by the way, is important for us to notice the way in which Jesus often answers objections from people. And here he's pointing them to something altogether different than what they've asked him. Sometimes we need to see the same thing that people put before us, an option, yes or no, and it's neither. But actually something altogether different. And I imagine when Jesus said this, the disciples were on the edge of their seat wondering How is Jesus going to respond? What is Jesus going to do? After all, this in many ways was one of the central issues for an Israelite living in first century Palestine under the Roman authorities. They did not like Rome. Rome was an occupying force. And the answer to this particular question in many ways would reveal much about Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom that they could expect from him. I would imagine that Mark's readers, the first time they read Mark's gospel, because you remember how Mark wrote to the Christians in Rome, when they came across this particular passage, most likely would have perked up their ears. What should we do? Given the fact that we're living right under the nose of Caesar himself, we're in many ways right under his thumb. How should we live before the authorities as well? They wanted to know, how they were to live as Christians in a climate in which hostility towards Christians in the political arena had grown quite heated. And I think the same is true for us. Sometimes we wonder how should we live before the authorities as well as Christians. Jesus gives two answers. The first is this. Honor the government as God's chosen 
servant. Honor the government as God's chosen servant. Jesus says here, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they, looked, they took one and he said to them, Though, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. Now, a denarius was one day's wage. And that was the head tax that every male in the Roman Empire was to pay on an annual basis. It was based on the census. You remember how Jesus' parents went to Bethlehem to be counted in the census? It was for this particular tax. So each year, every male living under the authority of Rome was to pay one day's wage. Not a bad deal when you compare it to the United States of America and our income tax. How would you like it if on January 1st you had completed your tax liability to the United States government? Not a bad deal. But you see, for the Israelites, it was a matter of principle. And that's why they didn't like it. But Jesus has rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that is, the things that belong to him. Render means to pay back, to repay. Why? Because in one sense, theoretically, all the coins in the Roman Empire were owned by Caesar. His inscription, his image were on the coins. He owned them, just as our currency is owned by the U.S. government. But beyond that, Jesus is saying that the state, the government, has the right to receive revenue from its people, to collect taxes for services rendered as they are the instrument or the servant of God in His hands to care for our basic needs. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 13. When writing to the Romans, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He goes on to say, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom you owe taxes, revenue to whom you owe, respect to whom it is owed, honor to whom it is owed. We're to render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. See, God's people benefited from Rome's power, didn't they? They drank water that flowed from Rome's aqueducts. They walked on Roman roads. They had peace in their land because Roman soldiers were posted right in front of them. But not only so. You see, the security, the privileges, the infrastructure of the Roman Empire are actually what made it possible for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to begin to spread throughout the world. Paul was a Roman citizen. It made it easy for him to move about the empire unhindered. Paul walked on Roman roads that had been created from the coffers of Caesar taking the gospel message with him. Do you see how the state is the servant of the great king? It was true in the days of those here that Jesus is speaking to, and it's true of us 
We are those who are blessed by the United States government and our local governments and state governments. We receive services all the time. Today, as we drive home from church, we will be driving on government roads. We are blessed by many services that the government provides, and so I'm sorry, you're still going to have to write your, pay, or write your check to Uncle Sam each and every year as you pay your income tax. The government is the servant of God. But it's not an absolute power. It's not a power that oversees and supersedes God. Jesus himself said to Pilate when he was before him, Pilate is questioning Jesus, do you not know what authority I have to release you or to crucify you? Jesus' response was, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. There are limits on government's power. And here Jesus is recognizing that when he says to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Not render to Caesar everything, but that which belongs to Caesar, that which he has a right to to lay claim on. He's limiting the claim that government has upon its people. Government's not all-powerful. It's meant to serve at the will of God. And we're to submit to government as the instrument in God's hand to bring justice, to exercise mercy, to allow peace to reign in the land. And we're to serve the government up to the point at which the government calls upon us to do something in contradiction to the Word of God. The year was 155 A.D. A group of Christians in Smyrna were arrested. They were brought before the authorities and told that they must worship the gods. Otherwise, they would be tortured to death. One man in particular, Germanicus, was brought forward. He was an elderly man. and He was told, consider your age. You do not want to be tortured in the methods that we have to torture you. Consider your age. Repudiate Christ. Serve the gods. To which he said, bring on the beasts. I no longer want to live in a world where this kind of injustice reigns. Later they were to bring Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, before the authorities and say the same thing. Repudiate Christ. Serve the gods. To which he replied, for 86 years I have served him and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? Here, government is overstepping its bounds and now asking its citizens to do things in contradiction to the Word of God. It would be like in our day, a physician being instructed that you must perform abortions upon a young lady if she requests. Or if the state denied Christians the right to assemble to worship Christ. To those things we must peacefully reject. But while there is corruption in government, no doubt, and certainly we see that in our own government all the time, it's a, really a rare occasion that citizens are asked to do things that are contrary to the Word of God. I think that was true of the Jews as well. At least in this particular day, the Jews were given much freedom to exercise their religion and the worship of God aside from the Roman involvement. And so here they're simply angry at Rome and they despise Rome. 
just like them, you and I today are really given much freedom and many privileges. I think sometimes the tendency is simply to think if the government doesn't do what I like or does what I don't like, that somehow it's invalid because it doesn't follow our particular ideologies or political persuasions. Sometimes, even as Americans, we have the view that certain types of government are actually unbiblical. They are invalid. Think back to the Cold War era and the Soviet Union and communism. Or even our history as a nation where we rejected the right of one man to rule, the divine right of a king to rule over its people. But do you know that there's not one form of government that's condemned in Scripture except that form of government that does things in contradiction to the Word of God? Or a government that exalts itself above God and says we're not a servant to you. But our history is one in which we've said a king shall not stand. Friends, it's not the type of government that matters. It's the type of governor. Because one day there will be one king who rules over all, the Lord Jesus So it's not the form of government that is most crucial, but rather the kinds of people that serve in that government, the kinds of character and integrity that they have. So from the Bible's perspective, it isn't that we are to throw off government rule, but rather to subject ourselves peaceably, to seek to be salt and light, to have an impact in the world by the way in which we serve under the government's rule and indeed serve within the government itself. To work through normal channels. To not run from civic duty. To not run from citizenship. Because I think what Jesus is saying here is that good citizenship looks like good discipleship. Following after Him. I know it's frustrating. Some of us, we look at the news and we're frustrated with our government. We wonder how our money is being spent. We don't agree with many things. There's Corruption at the highest levels at times. Friends, there's no other option but to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. and Seek to invest ourselves as citizens, not only of this country, but as citizens of heaven. We might have an impact in our own government. But actually, that's not Jesus' main message. The main message he, hear, he has here is something else because you see, here are, here are people who are preoccupied with throwing off Rome's rule. Who are preoccupied with political freedom. And so what he does is redirect their focus by saying here, now render to God the things that are God. question is, what does he mean by that? It means this. This is the second point. Honor God above all authority. Honor God above all authority. Jesus' instruction to the Pharisees was to bring a coin to him, which he does, or, or which he receives. And he asked them, whose likeness and inscription is on the coin? It's Caesar's. Caesar's image is on the coin. And what inscription is on the back? It says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Here, Jesus recognizes that this is Caesar's 
He owns it because it's His image on it. Because it declares that He is the Son of the divine Augustus. And it's almost as though Jesus is now looking at the crowds and asking them, now what image is stamped on you? What inscription is written upon you? Is it not the image of God Almighty? Is it not the inscription, child of God? By God's grace, you belong to the King. You don't belong to Caesar. You belong to the Lord Jesus. You are made by Him. You are adopted by Him through the grace of Christ. And therefore, He's saying our primary focus is to give to God what is God's. And what does God own? He owns everything of our lives. And so what we're called to do is to give to Him our whole selves. To withhold nothing from Him. Jesus says that those whose primary focus is upon political freedom or political transformation have really turned life upside down. They're living under government rule is really a second, a distant second to the primary focus of life, which is devotion to God. Because you see, Jesus knows that when we make our concern for government the priority of our lives, when that's the central driving focus of our lives, then we actually lose sight of the kingdom of God and focus on the kingdom of man. And in doing that, we end up cutting corners and becoming like the kingdom of man. How many good men and women have started out in government service who have made great claims and yet their life is now consumed by politics. Not the devotion of God. And their life becomes a tragedy. Jesus wants us to devote ourselves to Him because He knows that when we make earthly powers our concern, then we'll actually be frustrated by trying to get government right in a world where government will never be right, this side of glory. And in doing that, we actually, we miss out on so many of the blessings of the kingdom of God and devoting our lives to Him Because you see, no one ever received the blessings of the kingdom of God by devoting their life primarily to politics. No politician, no political ideology has ever died for you or will ever love you and care for you the way Jesus, as King of all creation, will care for you. I think the thought of changing our government in many ways is overwhelming. Christians can't change an empire. Or can they? Yes. But not by power, but by love and grace and mercy. That's how the Christians brought down the entire Roman Empire. It's not by overthrowing it. It's because the gospel of grace went forward in their lives. It was such a powerful transformation of culture because Christians were living in devotion to God. And when they lived in devotion to God, it had a powerful effect on the kingdom so that the kingdom of God began to grow and the kingdom of Rome began to crumble and diminish. Sometimes I think that there's 
an increasing difficulty in trying to serve God in our country. Maybe you feel that as well. And we wonder, how can we do that in our particular context? How could we possibly serve under a regime that may be oppressive towards Christians? My friends, your Savior did that, didn't He? Who better devoted His life to God than Christ under the oppression not only of Rome, but the oppression of the Sanhedrin, the oppression of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, even indeed the oppression of His own family. Jesus knows what it's like to live under oppressive rule. And He knows what it's like to devote your whole life to God under our oppressive rule. The question is, how do we make devotion to Christ our driving goal? Well, it's sort of ironic, but we do what the Pharisees did. It may sound strange, but we do what the Pharisees did. Look at the very last sentence here. After Jesus gave His masterful reply, we're told they marveled at Him. How could they not marvel at the wisdom of Jesus? to so powerfully and eloquently get out of this dilemma and this trap that they have put him in. Just like people marveled at Solomon when two women came before him and said, that baby is mine. No, it's mine. And in great wisdom, the wisdom of Christ, I would add, Solomon came up with a solution to the dilemma. And here the, the very enemies of God are marveling at Jesus and it's that same kind of disposition that the people of God are to have is that we marvel at Christ. We look at the government and we say, there is no one here can, who can rule rightly. There is no man, no woman who can take office and lead us as a country in the ways in which would please God. But there is one. There's a great king over all the earth. Christ Himself. And one day, the wisdom that Jesus displays here will be the same wisdom by which He reigns over the entire universe. Not just the United States, not just North America, not even just the globe, but all of the universe. Making it all work for His purposes. So that one day, you and I will enjoy those kinds of blessings where we'll never live under an oppressive regime we're always sharing the glory that belongs to Jesus. One day His grace and His wisdom will rule forever. A woman by the name of Neem Chong wrote a book called Life and Death in Shanghai. Her husband was an executive for Shell Oil, one of the few oil companies that stayed in China after the revolution. And seven years after they uh, made the choice to stay, her husband died and she was hired on by Shell as a consultant because she knew the country and the culture well. Not long after that, she was arrested by Mao Zedong. So this once important woman, this executive in Shell Oil was now reduced to being imprisoned in a cold, dank, dark cell in China with no hopes for freedom. She said one day she looked up high at the opening in the cell where the bars were. And she saw a little spider. The spider began to 
spin its web and move back and forth and create this beautiful tapestry of a web. She looked at that spider and she said, if there, if there could be a spider like that, there must be an, an infinite God, a personal God, who could make a creature do that without any set of instructions. She said when she realized what kind of God that is, and she said all the power and tyranny of the communist regime just melted away. And it didn't even matter. Because now she could live her life in devotion to God. Friends, we don't live in communist China. We don't live in Nazi Germany. We don't live under Stalin's heavy hand in Russia. We live in the United States of America with great freedoms. And we are very thankful for our country. We have more freedoms to devote ourselves to the Lord than anywhere else in the country or anywhere else in the world. Let us be about His business and make devotion to Him the primary thing of our lives for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Great Heavenly Father, we turn to You and we want very much for our lives not to be distracted by all the various messages that we hear from the culture, from all the different political groups that we do not agree with, from all the frustrations that we feel that the world is not as it should be. And so we pray that our main focus as we seek to be citizens of this country that our main focus is devotion to Christ and being citizens of that celestial city. For Christ's glory and even for the good of our own country, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.